0: Welcome to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow with Jay Allen. Today, we're going to challenge you to think differently and do things differently, to search for what is seen as impossible to do in your field or industry, but if done, would be transformative to understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Now, here is your host, Jay Allen. Hello,
1: I'm Jay Allen, your host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Today we're going to focus on transformation is everywhere, innovate now, and one of my favorite quotes I think is very relevant to our discussion today, it's a Thomas Edison quote, there's a better way to do it, find it, simple, direct, not look for it, find it. And with my guest, as mentioned earlier, we'll also discuss why the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. And we're excited today to have two guests with us who have led in so many aspects of life. Bill Burns is with us. Bill, you most recently served as the chief strategy office of Hitachi's global healthcare business, even through its eventual sale to Fujifilm. Today you serve as vice president of vertical markets at Cohesity. And that's where you're directly responsible for the oversight and coordination of all health and life science industry related activities. And additionally, over your 30 year career in healthcare, you've also served as an executive advisor and vice chairman on healthcare modernization with the Department of Health and Human Services and uniquely under two presidential administrations. And your early leadership experience as an army officer and those other exposures to leadership traits and principles have really helped shape your career. And you even taught a class at the United States Military Academy, congratulations.
2: Thanks, Jay. Happy to be here with
1: you today. Good. And Shannon Olson, Shannon, you are a strategic and innovative executive healthcare leader with over 20 years experience in healthcare information technology and pharmacy benefit management. You've been with Cigna, SureScripts, and Prime Therapeutics. As VP product strategy at Cigna, you're responsible for creating and promoting the next generation pharmacy benefit it's part of Cigna's fully integrated health solution effort. You've also transformed industry working relationships to enable healthcare providers in care settings, make prescribing more convenient, efficient, and safe. And a hearty congratulations for that one. And one of your teams, you created industry-leading prescription management modeling practices and tools. So, Shannon, thank you for being with us.
3: Good morning,
1: thank you. So your participation, uh, both Bill, you and Shannon, we're really looking forward to your insights. Uh, These are gonna be very important to our audience as they consider their transformation opportunities and whether to take action on them or not and how to deal with them. First, let's talk a little bit about what transformation means to you. What needs to happen and how does it happen? Uh, Bill, would you mind heading that out for us?
2: Yeah, Jay, thanks so much. Again, uh, glad to be here uh, with you this morning. You know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is exactly, have have you thought about and can you acknowledge the exact type of transformation that you are about to embark upon? Is it a business transformation is it, is it a digital transformation? Is it an IT transformation, right? So much of where you see transformative failure is by not completely understanding what you're embarking upon from the outset.
1: That's a very good point. There needs, there needs to be something driving that transformation. Transformation, just you don't just start out and say, gee, I think it's time to transform something. There's obviously situations, conditions in markets, customers, even with suppliers. Uh, Shannon, how would you like to log in on that?
3: Sure, when I think about transformation, I, I'll just share some, some various thoughts. I, I think about it as something is transformative when it's lasting. Um it's a, a raising of the bar or or setting a new standard, uh sort of getting to the extraordinary. And I think transformation occurs when we make it something that must happen. It's a must. It's not a should, it's not a like to, but generally happens when we set out and make it a must as an outcome and then we get into thinking about the particulars, the how, the what, how we're gonna to get to that outcome. And, and I guess a last thought is, I don't think of it as necessarily being convenient. It's not necessarily the thing we set out to do or achieve out of convenience. Um, and so those are some of my thoughts around transformation.
1: So when you think of the idea of, the cause or raising the bar what are some
3: served are certainly changes in the market customer feedback if you can see that your clients and customers are providing you feedback that you know things are getting harder for them not easier uh, there's more noise in the system. Um, you know, those are, have been some of the triggers that I have tuned into that tell me uh, change can be necessary and needed. Um, Bill, feel free to add, add to that.
2: No, I think, I think you're right on top of it, Shannon. I, you know, I think another good example would be if you look at the markets today, you look at uh, technology companies, some of the most successful technology companies, You've seen uh, throughout the the late 90s, mid 2000s now are undergoing a transformation which is being forced upon them. And these are successful companies that have um, a, a capital sales cycle. You look at their forward looking valuations, and the market begins to discount them because they are the market is now said, look, we are going to value a subscription of that revenue, a consistency in that revenue model versus the previous CapEx way of bringing your business in, right? So these are multi-billion dollar companies whose valuation is under a bit of pressure because the manner in which they metabolize that revenue is a bit dated and, uh, and, and susceptible to interruption.
1: What is it do you think that keeps organizations from transforming a little ahead of time rather than being forced into it? How how does that happen? They're bright people, they're supposed to be in touch, they're supposed to be experts, but oftentimes it's as you say, they're playing catch up and they're forced into it. How does that happen?
2: In my experiences, Jay, and and, and again, at, at Hitachi, um, I had the, the, the privilege of managing, not, uh, for, for a previous time, before I took over strategy, I, I managed uh, R&D, right? And there wasn't a day that goes by that you're not thinking about how to transform or grow the business. I think the challenge is a lot of people, and I think most people think this way. I, I don't think anybody, any teams that have been very successful in business they didn't get there by resting on their laurels. They are constantly thinking about what is next. However, I think what happens is we often can confuse transformation with incrementalism. And can we make, you know, is a 30%, uh, 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 it's a 30% increase uh, in our product portfolio, have we transformed the company? In most cases, the answer is going to be no you've expanded your portfolio, you haven't necessarily transformed
1: it. Shannon, how do you I connect with that?
3: I see some of the things that, that can hold companies back uh, on transformation. You know, we talk about that transformation can push to the surface some of the the ugliness that exists. And I think sometimes some of that ugliness that gets exposed is there can be a real lack of strategic thinking that's going on in the organization. The organization can be you know, very focused on its expertise, on its performance, on a strategic plan to achieve those things, but that is different than the type of strategic thinking that needs to go on to um, you know, kind of incubate and carry forward transformation. And so I think sometimes people can kind of get lulled into this. And so it it comes back to the getting started can be a bit of work, because if you're behind with some of that strategic thinking, you've got work to do and you've got to admit that you have that work to do as a foundation.
2: You know, Shannon, I think you bring up just a wonderful, wonderful point. Right. The the initial uh, many initial transformation efforts are intimidating to teams. Um, it had a, a lot of times, if, if, not, if not surfaced correctly, right? It can overwhelm employees. It can cloud operating priorities uh, uh, with your management team. Um, it can throw a monkey wrench into what you thought were a series of aligned priorities uh, by departments. Uh, and if you do, if you have too many of those that, you know, the organization begins to experience a a transformation fatigue, right? Oh, we've seen this message before. This is the third time we've had this conversation. So it's a very intimidating process to get started, even for people that have done it successfully.
1: I remember a couple decades ago, Citicorp was going through several reorganizations every few years, and their experience was, when they would go through, and this wasn't just money-saving things, it was to attend to markets. And so it was causing a lot of disruption in the organization. And I remember the CEO at the time coming out and saying, we've finally gotten used, accustomed to, the need for discomfort in making changes so that we are market leaders. And he said, now, when we do something different, we change the way we do things. We move from centralized to decentralized or one part to another part. Our people are kind of used to it now because the platform, as you say, the rationale was to meet customer needs as they move along. And it reminds me of a, something that, about transformation muscle memory. The the idea here is I've observed, as I've mentioned previously on the show, I've been fortunate enough, or, enough over the last 30 years to have worked in 20 different industries in 13 countries with over 2,200 senior execs and their direct reports. And uh, one of the things that I've observed is that they don't necessarily and immediately step up to these things and they their people are as you said maybe intimidated by transformation and they don't understand but once, once they experience transformation they start to build the muscle like the people at Citicorp and so responsiveness to market changes becomes more natural but it's doesn't happen overnight. So what, what, what in your transformation journeys were personally most meaningful or most difficult for you? If you could just refer back to some of the examples of transformation that you've led, been involved with, I know that uh, you've both been involved in those things. Shannon, how about uh, a little bit about the that big healthcare transformation you were involved in?
3: Sure. So the trans transformation uh, experience that I'll talk about is really a an industry transformation, and the company that I was working for uh, had some expertise in the pharmacy space and and specific to prescriptions and helping those prescriptions move between. Uh, the doctors that were prescribing them, the pharmacists that would fulfill the prescriptions, and then of course the patients that would pick up the prescriptions and and take them to uh, address health challenges or or stay healthy. And this process uh, had opportunity for not only improvement, but in some cases we would argue transformation. It was a process that had been underway for about 10 years but you could look around to other industries, the financial industry, for example, and see that the way this process was happening, if it were occurring in other industries, would in, in, in some respects be light years ahead. And one example of that is we really wanted to bring the element of being aware of the cost of prescriptions to the doctor. At the time, they were writing the prescription. We thought, well, this is a very important element in today's world. Patients and doctors should know what is the cost of a prescription, what might be some alternatives, and so forth. And so to achieve this, it, it really required a, an industry effort of getting various stakeholders together, technology companies large pharmacy groups, you know, think of pharmacies that you see on every corner of of uh, most, most cities, uh, industry groups that represented uh, pharmacies and others, and getting these groups together and rallying them around not, hey, let's get excited about, you know, doing a technology thing together, but really getting them grounded in how do we make this experience better for the patient, for the doctor, for the pharmacist? And it was really about taking the focus off of our respective companies and what this was gonna bring to the individual companies, but how could we take the hassle factor out for the people and improve this for the people and help everyone understand that if we didn't step in to do this, who else would? And the who else could potentially be, for example, a government action where we would be handed a way to solve this problem. And we decided together that working together and solving this problem would be best.
1: And no one likes to have that imposed on them. And, obvious, and obviously, there were other competitors that could do it, that had capabilities that weren't even in the healthcare business that were expanding into other fields with the same kind of efficiency and effectiveness and patient, and if you will, customer care, if you include the docs and the patients and uh, the pharmacies.
3: That's they right. Were,
1: they were ready to step in. The uh, I remember those times and there were bumps in the road and we want to talk a little bit about those kinds of things and we're about to take a break and Bill we're going to come back and ask you the same questions about question about your experience and then we will continue on to talk about the risk of leading transformation. So now let's take our break.
4: Are you intent on gaining a new competitive edge in your markets? Are you looking for innovative ways to engage customers and inspire your team to grow your business? Masters Alliance Strategic Management Consulting Firm brings 30 years of experience partnering with clients in over 20 industries in 13 countries to achieve breakthrough business results. Jay Allen and his team of professionals can help your organization discover new opportunities and create solutions to produce a lasting impact in your markets. Masters Alliance will work with you to engage employees, customers, and suppliers to reveal new competitive situations and accelerate how you get things done. Our team brings fresh multi-industry perspectives and a track record of excellence to help you accomplish significant business goals. If you're ready to set your business apart and make a difference in your markets, visit mastersalliance.com to learn more. Are you missing business opportunities? Take the bucket off your head and see your business differently today to get the results you want tomorrow from Jay Allen, founder and CEO of masters Alliance consultancy, LLC. The Buckethead's book is the ultimate business guide to excite your organization to market-changing thinking and actions. Drawing on 30 years of experience working with executives in 20 different industries and 13 countries, Jay Allen reveals strategies to connect with customers, markets, and suppliers in game-changing ways. Bucketheads will show you how to step out of your comfort zone and transform your business. Winner of Independent Book Publishers 2020 Gold Medal for Best Nonfiction Ebook. Bucketheads helps business leaders like you champion innovation and ignite the fun of achievement. Get your copy of Bucketheads today. Available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon. See more at bucketheadsbook.com. <laughs>
0: are tuned into get to the future on time do differently tomorrow hosted by jay allen to reach out to the show with questions or comments please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com that's info at mastersalliance.com now back to get to the future on time do differently tomorrow
1: welcome back i'm jay allen your host of get to the future on time do differently tomorrow And we're really excited to have two experienced transformation leaders with us today. Shannon Olson, she's a strategic and innovative executive healthcare leader. Bill Burns, a leader in today's most advanced national and international healthcare organizations. We've been discussing the experiences with transformation and the importance and impact of transformation. And so we're going to pick up with that with Bill. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, Jay,
2: so uh, look, um, you know, having, having come from, uh, an R and D background and then into, uh, uh, an executive management background across multiple businesses. Right. I think the, uh, you know, there, there was always some sort of, of either minor or major transformation going on. And, and uh, you know, uh, before you had mentioned the whole concept of, of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. And, yeah. uh, I think you know if I could draw it back to to, to, to one factor right I think uh, there are many factors in success or failure but one of the ones that uh, that I can really relate to is um, is really having a strong executive sponsor who has your back as you're moving through this transformative period and that really can't be understated because there are going to be times, especially in the initial early days where you need to be very comfortable saying the words, I don't know, I'm not sure. Uh, you're often asked, how's it going, uh, are we getting there? And, and a lot of times you need, you, you need to be given permission to be uncomfortable. You need to be given permission to uh, be transparent about a level of indecisiveness or uncertainty. And it's only when you have that, that executive sponsorship where somebody says, look, I have your back. This is the, I understand it's early days. And you have to be, most transformation teams have to be protected during that time that to, to, to allow them to work through those periods. Um, and I think that, that that's just something for me, that's common across both large and small projects.
1: Do you think that at time, since you've headed a couple of organizations as president, uh, that also extends to the board?
2: Oh, absolutely, without with, without a doubt, without a doubt. As a matter of fact, um, I would say that, you know, the, 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 the topic of especially large scale transformation needs to be embraced by the board because it is going to, as, as we went back to talking about how it, uh, uh, transformational efforts, making sure they don't uh, interfere with your operational priorities. And often at the, you, you need the support of the board to understand how do, we stay, how do we keep this conversation focused on our operational priorities, the health of the business and how it's moving forward today and then seg- separate and, and, and segregate those conversations uh, around transformation. As a matter of fact, in, in many board conversations, uh, we would save those transformational conversations or updates until later in the evening, after a lunch or after dinner and, and separate and segment the daily operation and fiduciary responsibility of running the business and then looking at what we're doing to transform it, and, and segregating them even at the board level.
1: Shannon, you've uh, presented to many boards over the years, and had many presentations to boards. Uh, what have you found to be some fundamental things that gets the that get the board on on board, so to speak, to get them accepting, buying in, and understanding? Are there any fundamentals that you Recall that um, connect with them?
3: I think it's the idea of casting the vision, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve, demonstrating a plan, and demonstrating that incremental progress towards the plan, and reinforcing as you go that there are the unexpected, this isn't about perfection. But connecting how progress against this plan ties back to, you know, the broader transformation efforts and how that will ultimately link up to, you know, where the company was going. You know, we talked a bit ago about, um, you know, what, what can be difficult and Bill touched on some of this. You know, one of the things that was personally difficult for me driving this industry transformation is working closely with a talented leadership team who really prided themselves on having all of the answers. And so as we stepped into an industry environment to solve a problem that yes, I had some hypotheses, I I had some solution ideas, but the whole intent was to convene constituents and really build off the synergy and the talent of everyone involved, we were essentially stepping into a place to say, we don't have all the answers, but together, if we work together for a common constituent, the patient, for example, the physician, uh, we can get to this better place. And so it's some of that exposing the vulnerability like you said, Bill, knowing that somebody has your back, getting the right talent around you, the right support around you, maybe that's not always, you know, every single member of your leadership team. In my case, it involved bringing in some outside assistance, you know, getting, infusing some of that creativity, infusing some of that risk-taking mindset that was gonna be necessary to take us through the transformation.
1: So does that, that idea of having all the answers, the name of our show is Getting to the Future on Time. It would seem that getting to the future on time is severely inhibited when you have, think you have all the answers. That's right. So what do you two think about the idea that's in my book, The Burden of Regret is Greater Than the Risk of Leading? I've talked to lots of people about that, and I've got a couple of things in my life that I didn't step up to, and they don't seem to go away. They're always there. And have you had any experience with that, either of you?
3: When I think about the risk of not leading or the risk of leading, I. I often will think about the future and playback. Jay, you use the, you know, get to the future on time. And so from that, I say, well, if each of us is an author and we have a story to write and we have sort of an idea of how we want some chapters to end or how we want the book to end, how do you work your way back? And so when I use that thinking and I say, do I want to be that leader that was held up to say... She did a fantastic job of maintaining the status quo. She was the most predictable, you know, consistent status quo leader. Uh, I guess I kind of ground myself in that at times and say, okay, yes, I'm about quality. Yes, there's a time for predictability and a time for consistency. But I don't know that our greatest achievements for our teams in our lives, for our companies will be about um, building mastery and status quo. So the way I see it, I don't know that you have any other choice than to take on some of these risks and take on some of these challenges. If you don't, I think you could be riddled uh, with regret.
1: Bill, any additional thoughts? No, I thought that was very
2: well said, right? You know, <laughs> a, a lot of my, uh, I don't know, the older I get, a lot, of, a lot of times, the more I think back to my early leadership experiences. And, you know, I, I, I really had a great one, right? You know, as a, as a young infantry officer, you are taught um, no decision is a decision. So you, you need to make one right in in, in, in in almost every situation that you're that you're encountering um and when you when you accept that that's the outcome I have to make a decision it it's it's very freeing um and I, I don't spend too much ma- i don't spend too much time thinking about the things i, I uh, get wrong um i, I you know uh, uh, with my kids in college now i try to remind them that's I make uh, uh, I make a lot of wrong decisions uh, before I make the wrong decisions before 9 a.m. every day, right? So uh, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the decisions or, or being regretful about those. Uh, and I try to remind myself that no decision is a decision. As a leader, you're being asked to lead, and you to do that, you have to brush aside the fact that you may choose a path it's often not about right and wrong it's about the the, the, the perception of perfect and um, and, uh, and and again <laughs> I love that you know uh, uh, excelling at mediocrity or excelling at never being wrong is, is not really uh, advancement
1: one of the chapters of my book is uh, the idea of right versus perfect and I can relate to that as a as a formal former naval officer on a destroyer escort and we're out at sea and we can't call home necessarily and uh, we have to make decisions and we had to de- we had to learn and correct decide learn and correct and then do and then do uh, repeat you know that's the way life was
3: jay i think if there's an area when i think about regret that I orient around is, it's the people regret, you know, when I reflect on of all the categories where we can have regrets, I guess the area that I would like to minimize and continue to learn from is, I think those would pain me the most, the the regrets with my team, the regrets with colleagues, other people I'm working with. And as I get more experienced, I think I'm getting better at the old adage we all hear about, you know, right person, right role. And when that's not a fit, the faster you can identify that and help that situation, the better. And I I think that as we're going, as we're talking about transformation, it, it comes full circle because as you transform situations and companies, inherently the people need to transform and continue growing. And as we're working with people, some of them successfully make that uh, evolution and and others not as much or others not as quickly as, as what's needed. And so an area that I try to tune into more and more is thinking about the people aspect and thinking about, the regrets and how to put those pieces together and be most mindful to minimize the regrets and have the most amount of success in that area.
1: It reminds me that I learned very early on that it's actually cruel to the people not to help them with those decisions and make mutual decisions. And it's, it's a disservice to the rest of the team. If, you, if there's not a fit and you do everything you can to help that fit take place, then generally that person, well, my experience is always that person is unhappy anyway. So perpetuating that just continues unhappiness on both sides and getting, to, getting down to it and making a compassionate, helpful decision, to me makes all the sense. The, uh, I'd like to insert another idea, and that is connecting to our previous discussion here, protecting the current situation, changing things, and transforming to the point of edginess. During my experience with so many organizations, I found that when organizations protect the current situation, the people are frustrated. Because the people on the front line are closest to the customer, are closest to the situation. They know what the opportunities for transformation are. And when the leaders don't connect with that, or don't understand it, or refuse to acknowledge it because they have all the answers, the people are really frustrated. So that's not really going to get you very far because it can, it gets you that incrementalism, Shannon, that you talked about, but it's underwhelming incrementalism because the people closest to the customer or the situation know that that incrementalism could be times two or times three. And then when you get to the idea of change and change kind of comes around the corner and hits you, then the people feel like, okay, we're being put upon because almost woe is us. The market's shifted fast, the customer attitudes have changed, things are changing and we have to, now we have to do it. But when when you can engage people as you've both discussed in things that are going to change what goes on in the marketplace, respond to customers differently, it's exciting and even some of the people who aren't oriented to that find it exciting. One of my favorite examples was a client who was a classical musician. She was uh, second violin on a very professional orchestra as a part-time. And she said, I don't compete. And I don't transform. And I said, well, what are your goals? And she said, well, I want to become first violinist. And I said, well, what do you have to do to become first violinist? And she said, well, I've got to do better. I've got to change some things. As a matter of fact, I'm working on some things that are different than the way they're being done now. And and she said, then I've got to do it better than the first violin. And then she hesitated and she said, uh-oh, I'm transforming, aren't I? I'm competing, aren't I? And I just wanted to put that out so that we can... Revisit that after the break. We're going to take a short break now, and we'll come right back.
0: Are you ready to look at your customers differently? See them from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics. The character of the customer. An advanced approach to understand and connect with customers in new ways. You get new views of the motivations and needs of your customers. You engage your organization in unique, actionable customer segmentation understanding master's alliance will help your team reveal hidden opportunities identify distinct customer desires and develop demand creating value propositions now is the time to look at your market through a new lens and chart a new competitive direction at master's alliance we know that customers are more than meets the eye and success depends on looking beyond demographics visit beyonddemographics.com to learn more you are tuned into get to the future on time do differently tomorrow hosted by Jay Allen to reach out to the show with questions or comments please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com that's info at mastersalliance.com now back to get to the future on time do differently tomorrow
1: welcome back I'm Jay Allen I'm the host of get to the future on time and do differently tomorrow and we're excited to have these Two experienced leaders as guests with us today, Bill Burns and Shannon Olson. And we've been discussing the impact of transformation, the ideas around transformation and the the risk of leading or the lack of risk of leading. And we had just teed up the idea of protecting the current situation or changing things or transforming getting to edgy and what impact that has on people and organizations. Would either of you like to comment on that?
2: Well, well, Jay. Um, look, I, I think you know most organizations are. First of all, tra- transformation is messy, right? It um, it it just flat out is. And I think, um, and and it's not strategy. And I think that's a common misconception: is that uh, transformation is choosing an alternative strategic direction. Your strategy and transformation are are two. Uh, uh separate activities. And, and, and often when I was at Hitachi, we would separate those two, right? A lot, a lot of organizations have a transformation team or a strategy team that tends to be involved in a lot of their transformational efforts. And um, what we did was we separated those a lot. Now you would have maybe someone from the strategy office or the strategy team as, as a core member of that team, but that team, was made up of many people uh, from around the organization. And uh, so I, I would say, you know, don't get strategy and transformation confused with each other.
1: One group that I recall stated that the people who are really getting things done in the organization and holding it together and are, the operational excellence group are not necessarily the ones that want to be out on the edge for transformation. And so, uh, back in my corporate career, I was frequently involved or given the task of transformation. And even once, when I complained about a group that was one of my supply, internal suppliers, I walked down the hall in the CEO saw me and yelled at me and said, Alan, get in here. And I thought, well, I was busted or something. But he said, you know, that group that you've been complaining about in meetings the last couple months that he said, those 63 people are now yours and you've got 90 days to get them the way you want them. And I want you in my office, not on the 89th day or the 91st day on day 90, telling me how you did it, how they're excellent and how they're ahead of the curve and state-of-the-art and uh, it's a different kind of group. The uh, Can you identify some of the profiles of some of those people that might be on that kind of a group?
3: Well, that sounds familiar to me, Jay, your story. I, I can think of a time, uh, driving a transformation effort and really needed the engagement and support of another leader. And this leader uh, was very focused on status quo, you know, the dashboarding, the metrics, the, the getting the cleanest picture of today, as opposed to thinking more about where we were headed. And I thought, this person has a lot to offer. I need this input. How, how can I get this engagement? Through, through talking with this person, I learned a little bit more about their background. He shared with me in a former company, he prided himself on flawless client implementations, but then learned when clients had a problem during their implementation and that problem could be solved, he and his team were viewed as you know heroes. And so I think I saw his thinking evolve and he said, you know, we almost got to a situation with our client implementations where let's just say we engineered in some problems here and there, ones we knew we could solve, and our clients were wildly happy about the implementation process. So where I'm going with this is by investing a little bit more time, understanding what made this person tick, I was able to say, okay, this person is a problem solver. There is some creativity here. It's a little different than perhaps, you know, what I would have read on the surface. But how do I take this and plug this problem solving ability and, you know, skill into what we have going with the transformation effort? And I think what I drew out of this, Jay, was to even check my own stereotypes and my own putting things in a box, because as you remind us, you know, there is transformation in everybody. There there is that element of creativity, I think in transformation in all of us. And this is where as leaders in transformation, I think this is our job to figure out how do you set the table how do you unlock these talents in the people and allow it to come together in a way where you're building these synergies? So I, too, was able to take kind of a, an operator mindset and figure out how to plug it into the transformation uh, effort.
1: Bill, anything to add on that?
2: Shannon's bringing up the the very real and uh, uh, very messy aspect of team building during transformation, right? Making sure you have the right team. Do you have the right individuals? And it's okay if you don't, uh, but you need to make a decision to quickly get the right individuals, right, Uh, on, on board. And, you know, so creating that team, getting it to be, that team needs to go all in, right? Transformation needs to be deeply personal to them, right? So, uh, and, in, and then that team has to be inclusive, right? Trans, You know, oftentimes uh, strategy seems like an ivory tower exercise, but the transformation, uh, the operation of it is not. And you have to be inclusive um, because there's there are many, many viewpoints to be brought from the, from the, the team that you have. Um, and and you're going to find, like I said, transformational capabilities or muscle memory across many, many individuals in the organization.
1: Sometimes I hear that the idea of getting to the future on time as a show title is that's just not possible. How can anybody get to the future on time? And I like to talk about the concept of actually creating a little bit of your future, creating a little bit of your own future. And I'd like to ask you what role you think that plays in transformation.
3: I identify with the idea of, you know, starting with the end in mind and maybe at its very essence. And even when we take transformation out of the business context and you can even, you know, think about it in a personal context as well, I think fundamentally it's when you put a stake in the ground and you say, I've been, you know, tolerating something, some situation, and here from here on out, it just can't be. We well, we can't continue like this. And so then you start thinking about, well, if you don't want to continue like this, what what do you want instead? And then to your point, Jay, on the timing, well, when do you want that? Is that just you know, something that you hope you'll get to someday? Or is that more of a reality for you? Nope, in one year. No, in five years, I want to be here. At this point in time, I want to see that this thing has changed. And so I identify a lot with the idea of getting to the future on time and, and kind of setting a time frame for what you want that future to be. Otherwise, I think you're going to be on a bit of the, you know, cruise to nowhere, as they say. And, you know, I don't know who gets on that cruise. You know, do, do you want to take the cruise that goes around in a loop? Or did you want to sign up for the cruise that's going somewhere and arriving at some point?
1: And back to your earlier point, if, if you do have people who want to get on the cruise to nowhere, it's the leader's responsibility to help them redirect because the cruise to nowhere is not satisfying. Yes. People talk about, gee, we don't have employee engagement. Well, they make it really complicated. If you've got stuff cooking in the organization, if you've got things that are reacting to customers, if you're in the mainstream, if you're making things happen, you're going to get employee engagement. You can play a bunch of games with it and say, oh gee, we're a 7.5 and next year we're going to be a 7.8, yawn. You're not in the game. Bill, any additional thoughts?
2: Yeah, you know, sometimes uh, I I think looking towards the future is going to sound a little weird, but it's also looking what's in the rearview mirror, and we often see the signs of change in the rear view mirror. You can look at people who are looking to disrupt you, to disrupt your business. No matter how how well it's going, someone's always coming after you. Someone's always going to try to do it better, either make it better, deliver it better, make the experience of both more enjoyable for you. Someone's always uh, coming for your section of the market. And you need to anticipate and you need to be able to embrace those, those disruptive forces and challenge yourself to, you know, too many times you look at things, you say, well, look, well, that competitor uh, really only has 7% market share. And if you take that attitude, you know, next year they're going to have 11 and then 15. And by looking at what's going on sometimes behind you and understanding, is there, just, is there disruption in my existing business? and anticipating that and embracing it, you can continue to um, uh, re-innovate an existing business and, and keep competitors at bay.
1: That's a really nice point. I recall back, I started my career in Manhattan, lived in Manhattan, worked in Manhattan, and there was a fellow I worked with, uh, a very senior fellow, his name was Hanley Norens and he had this unique ability when we'd be in a conference room on, I think it was the 23rd floor or something, I can't remember exactly. He had this unique ability to, to designate and point out where people were in other buildings, the name of the building and the, and the cross street of the building, who were sitting in conference rooms figuring out how to knock us off. And it was very much attention getting, but and it's hard to do in other communities, but in Manhattan you can see where he had his pick of a lot of competitors who had offices right there in Manhattan. Sometimes headquarters offices, sometimes not, but they were major offices. And it was very, very attention getting to us. So when you, uh, when you think about transformation and you've addressed this a little bit, uh, I like to think of it as more than just of organizations. It's how we do things. It's how we use things. It's our thoughts and our concepts. It's our experiences. It's our relationships and our realities. And Anyone who's ever had a first child had their lives transformed much, to a much greater extent than they ever imagined. Mine was all my peers were, and I just hear the stories over and over again. Oh my gosh. And some of them, what have I gotten myself into? And they picked themselves up and dusted themselves off and made it work. So any thoughts on this transformation relating to personal. We only have a couple more minutes, but just a quick couple thoughts.
2: No, Jay, I, th- I, I think you're right, yeah, and, and the the first child concept. Uh, I'm, I'm smiling over here, right? You know, having three kids. You know, by the the first one, you're you're trying to be perfect. Right? And by the time you get to the third, you realize that um, you, you are making the right decisions and, and that life will help you uh, uh, get there. And same thing in transformation. First project or two, you're trying to be perfect. At, after that, you're just trying to get to an outcome um, and, and get started. So I think there's a, a very, very, very good alignment in that story.
1: So pick up on that, Shannon. It sounds like taking the first step is important
3: taking the first step, looking inside at your belief system, figuring out, you know, what is it that you want to stand for? Where do you want to raise your standard? You know, go down the list, you know, your personal health, time with your family, uh, you know, some way that you're interacting, you know, with your community. I mean, the list is long and, uh, the possibilities are endless. So I think when you decide, what do I no longer want to tolerate? How do I want that future to look a bit different? You can start to apply this sort of thinking and approach to an endless number of scenarios.
1: And we very, very, very frequently find out that the change is possible. The journey sometimes tough, but when we get there, it's exhilarating. I want to thank you both for being on the show, Shannon Olson and Bill Burns. It was a great discussion. I hope you listeners have been encouraged to take that first step, embark on transformation, overcome some of the hurdles, and make a real difference in your world. And thank you for tuning in. It's been a privilege of being with you today. And please tune in next week, Thursday, 10 to 11, Central Ah, standard time at this point. Thank
0: you very much. Thank you for listening to Get to the Future on Time. Do Differently Tomorrow with Jay Allen. Next week, we will have more takeaways for your business success. So please join us next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk soon.